the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, excited to be joined by old friend Steve Kobo. We're going to catch up on life. And then we're joined by Dr. Alan Noble, author of a new book called You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is out today. And so coming back, somebody who uh, we, we've gotten to know well here on the show is our friend Steve Coble. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Brian. Um, as much as uh, my uh, sleep-deprived mind That's right. uh, can handle it, I'm, I'm excited, uh, delighted, and hedgehog happy to be with you. It's so fun to have you back, man. Steve was here uh, back in April, I think. I lose track of the month. So I, we're going to hold on to what you just said because I, I do want to talk about that. But remind people... Uh, your church, your background. Give us a little bit of your story. I just want to spend some time catching up. Yeah, I I moved here to Chicago in 2013 from Memphis, Tennessee, originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, went here to came here to to go to grad school and quickly figured out I didn't want to read and write uh, for the rest of my life. And so, uh, really love the local church. Really love preaching and teaching, pastoring people. Um, and so, I work at a church um, and serve at a church called Renewal Church of Chicago. Uh, it's a multi-ethnic church on the near west side of Chicago, and uh, we, we've we been in the city for seven years now. We mm. just celebrated seven years in September, and, uh, you know, despite the pandemic, we're still uh, marching on as, as much as the Lord gives us grace. And so I'm a teaching pastor and uh, over discipleship and spiritual formation there. Awesome. And uh, the, the weird small world thing is you guys have no connection whatsoever, but you're at Renewal Church in Chicago my normal co-host, Aubrey's at Renewal Church in West Chicago. <laughs> I literally have never heard of another Renewal Church. It's really so. funny. Uh, I'm going to change my church name just to kind of uh, fall in line here. What's it been like to pastor through COVID? What's it, what's it, Aubrey and I talk a lot. We're both pastors also, so we got three pastors, uh, and yeah. we've talked about how unbelievably difficult it's been and kind of unsettling. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I mean, you, it's just a constant pivot. Right. Yeah. So we actually worship out of, out of a high school, a, a Chicago public school high school. So when COVID hit, we had to move out of the high school. Oh, wow. We have an office space. So um, we have one uh, sort of tech and, and digital arts person. And so a lot of stuff went on him immediately. Yes. Right. When you pivot over. Um, and then, you know, luckily enough, I think we have a young enough congregation that they were able to make the shift. Mm. Um, but then just like everybody else making the shift back to in person, even though it feels so good yes, to, right. to be there, it's, you know, people still feel hesitant to get back or just the rhythm has changed of their lives. So it's like they're getting back into like a, a, the normalcy of, of including church yes. into their Sunday morning. So yeah, if they're getting back at all, right. Right. It's, I was you and I were just talking off air that I, I've know more pastors right now who are like, I don't know if we're going to make it or we're like half the size we used to be with. And, and every pastor I talk to feels like they're in kind of this cloud of like, I don't know what to do right now. Yeah. There's some there's something that's nice about all of us understanding the same thing. But don't you feel like it's just been it, it, it's it's almost indescribable just the way it's been. If you go back 20 months now, if you described what this right. would be like, none of us would be able to, none of us would believe it. Right. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's there's so much, you know, mental and emotional toil yeah. that you have. There's there's, you know, not being able to see somebody face to face that you yeah. pastor and understanding like, all right, this Zoom thing is like uh, going to be a nor- normative thing. Mm. And um, I mean, it changed the way that that for some of us, like it changed the whole dynamic of the the strengths that we have yeah. are no longer strengths That's and so i point. think it 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 has caused a lot of people to spiral in the sense of um what i do really well i'm not able to do mm. and so you know it's just created a different dynamic 
Absolutely. It's so weird. But speaking of different dynamics, speaking of uh, pivots in life, since we last talked, you guys have welcomed a baby. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you, man. It's, uh, you know, I, I think we t- we talked the last time, um, like what, what it's like fatherhood and yeah. parenting yeah. and stuff like that and having a little boy. And um, it's just been a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think a lot of people will say like, man, I just fell in love the moment they came into the world. Yeah. I think it took, I was like super excited, <laughs> but then it was like over the course of like two weeks, I was like, oh, he's awesome. <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so right now we're just trying to learn how to, you know, function off of four hours of sleep and uh, keep it moving, man. <laughs> and it continues. What's his name? When was he, when was he was born? And uh, mostly how has life changed for you? Like what? Here, I remember talking to you in April and it was a lot of like, here's how life's going to change or here's what it was like for me. How's it actually changed for you? What, what is, uh, how are you different now? Man. So, you know, I lived as an adult, like 14 years as an adult, mm-hmm. like without one, without having a wife. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then a- adding a, a kid into, into the mix. And so on, on one end, it feels like really cool to like have a family yeah. and that's my, my own thing. And so, um, you know this, but like my, my mother passed away right. a couple of years ago. It'll actually be two years, exactly October 27th. Um, and so it's just been like a cool experience establishing a family and feeling the, the way I felt about my mom, about my mm. kid and about my wife. And so, um, so life has changed drastically. I, yeah. I think it, on one end, like I knew what it was to pastor a church um, as a single person mm-hmm. and you just have literally unlimited time. Mm. Brian, I could do work from like seven to midnight <laughs> David, and nobody cared. Nobody cared. <laughs> at, as a matter of fact, like I, I'm on the evening feed, so I feed the baby at, at, at midnight now. And so I realized like I have like five hours of time <laughs> where I could like I'm going to be up. Yep. So I can like do stuff. Yep. And um and so I started to work <laughs> on the late night and I was just like I remember being a single pastor and then having just this seemingly unlimited amount of time to care for uh the church and yeah. different things that are happening and and now that time is uh is split and yet it's it's a really really wonderful experience. And I think you understand the people that you pass. That's one of the things that I appreciate about um, my experience is pastoring as a single guy for so long. So then like, you know what it is to be a single person mm-hmm. who wants to be married or wants to have a significant other, yeah. wants to have that companionship. Um, and then now being married and knowing what it's like to have children, what it's like to lead a wife, um, all of those, uh, all of those different awesome. things. So it's, it's maybe a better pastor. I think that's awesome. Well, congratulations. You've, you got that little boy. Uh, there's you're a baseball guy, I remember. So there's there's that field of dreams moment coming about five six years down the road. Dad, you want to have a catch and you know, that tear coming down <laughs> your face. <laughs> uh, last thing to catch up on uh, your Indianapolis Colts. I remember you big fan. They feel uh, they feel pretty mediocre to me. Which as a Giants fan, I would take mediocre right now. But they sure, feel sure, somewhat mediocre. Sure. How are you feeling about them? Here's here's the thing. I, I think that you know they've actually played in a couple of closer games than yeah. people. If you haven't been paying attention, like you'll just look like oh they're one in five or whatever it is. Um, but Carson Wentz has been hurt. He's coming back from injury. Quentin Nelson, who's like the best he offensive lineman in the league, has been hurt and coming back from injury. And so I think when we get ready to see this uh, hard knocks, uh, Colts hard knocks, they're doing a midseason Colts hard oh, knocks. I forgot about that. Um, I think what what we're going to realize quickly, especially in the division that they're in, yep. like they're in the division with the Texans. <laughs> like, you know what yes. I'm saying? Yes. So like the Titans are like the only good team in yep. that division. Yep. So and, you know, I think that, you know, they could with the extra game at the end of the season, they could become a playoff team. I think I'm not, you're right. You know, I'm not, you know. I think it could be possible. And again, I'm a Giants fan, so in some ways we're hoping to become the Texans. <laughs> oh, I read a stat the other day that uh, the Giants, since 2017, the Giants literally have the worst record in the NFL. And you're like, even the Jets? Even the, even the just, Jets. It's terrible. Well, it's great to have you here, man. Steve's going to be with us all day. We're going to start talking about issues within the church, within Christendom, and all other things. But for next, we're going to talk to Dr. Alan Noble 
author of a new book called You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. We're excited to talk to Alan next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. We are so glad to have you with us today. And we are thrilled to be joined by an associate professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University, also co-founder and editor-in-chief of Christ and Pop Culture. Uh, And what we're having him on here is to talk about his new book called You Are Not Your Own. He is Dr. Alan Noble. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Really good, really good, and we're thrilled to have you on. And Alan, before we dive into your book, which i got to be honest, looks phenomenal. Congratulations on this book coming out. Uh, Could you just introduce yourself a little bit more to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sure, yeah. So as you said, I'm an associate professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University, and I uh, wrote a book a couple years ago called Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. And that sort of helps motivate this book. I've written on a variety of issues ranging from, you know, literature, which is my field of specialty, Mm -hmm. to in the public sphere, written about, you know, politics for different organizations like um, The Atlantic and Christianity Today and First Things and other organizations like that. So my my real passion is uh, helping the church to uh, participate in culture in a a more biblical and and, uh, godly way. Mm. Hey, Alan, tell us about your book. What what motivated you to write this book? What is the book about? What's kind of like the 30,000-foot uh, purpose and, and vision for this? Yeah, so there, there are two kind of uh, areas, uh, influences for this book. The first was uh, thinking through this idea of belonging to yourself. Now, the first question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism is what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer in the catechism is that you are not your own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it continues on for the rest of the Trinity, uh, but I don't have that part memorized. So, um, <laughs> I was impressed I'll with the first part. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that's right. <laughs> One day I'll get it all done. Um, and that, but that idea that, you, you know, uh, that we belong to someone else, when I, when I read that catechism, it struck me that, Oh, that is so, it is the most antithetical thing to the modern understanding of a self, of belonging, um, that I can imagine. Um, and as I mulled over this idea, it occurred to me that, that really a lot of the contemporary issues that we're wrestling with uh, center on this question of to whom do we belong? Do we fundamentally belong to ourselves, or do we belong to Christ, and therefore... Uh, in a similar way, do we have a sense of belonging or obligation to family, to mm-hmm. friends, to community, to the church? Because those are very different. Those are very different ideas. So I had that idea on the one hand, and then the other thing was just experiencing life. Uh, it uh, as I got to know more and more people. Um, I work with students, you know, I have a wife. I have children. I have my own experiences, and, uh, <laughs> and what I noticed was that a, a, a lot of them were suffering in, in, in various ways so that there was a kind of common experience where they felt like uh, every day they were just trying to get through the day, you know? So you can hear this kind of mantra in their mind, I just need to get through today. Uh, mm-hmm. I just need to get through today. Um, and that tells me, okay, is contemporary society disordered? Do we, is it structured so in such a dysfunctional way that you can't even... Um, have a regular day, get through the day. And so uh, you know, the essence of the book is connecting those two ideas. Oh, that's really good. And Alan, how do we combat that lie? Because like you said, this idea that we are our own and all that is permeates everything uh, culturally for us. So how do we as the church and we as individuals even begin to combat that? So there, there are a couple things we need to recognize. First, if the argument I make in the book is accurate. And that argument is that that fundamental lie that we are our own and belong to ourselves is deeply embedded in our institutions, our practices, our laws, our values, our attitudes, our aesthetics, our practices, our habits, our reading, everything. Um, then we need to recognize that this is not a, uh, a flip the switch kind of a problem that we can just uh, magically wish away. These are deeply embedded things. So mm-hmm. the first thing to recognize is that our, our hope for the future is fundamentally in Christ and the redemption that he's bringing to the world, 
not our ability to fix everything mm. because uh, we don't have that ability. We're not the yeah. Savior. So I think that, that, that posture of humility and grace for ourselves and each other is, is the first place we need to start. Mm. But then I think we also need to, to take a, a, a radical stock of how we see our obligations in life. So, so for example, I think for, for many young people, the way we train them and teach them as they're growing up and to think about their career and their life as a grand adventure that they get to launch out into. Mm. And so they get to decide where they want to live, the kind of careers that they pursue, the kind of people they marry, and so on and so forth. It's a project. Life is a project. But if we belong to Christ, then we have obligations to our local community. We have obligations to our local church. And maybe when we're choosing our career, maybe we need to help younger people ask the question, what does my community need? And how can I help them meet that need? Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to asking, what am I good at? What can I pay the bills at? You know, and so on and so forth. You should be asking the question, what does my community need? And maybe, maybe our community doesn't need another doctor. Maybe our community doesn't need another pastor. Maybe it needs, needs someone who's going to be a faithful plumber, who's going to treat their uh, customers with uh, respect and their employees well, and is going to volunteer every Wednesday night at their local church to mentor use. And that's a good life. And I think a lot of young people don't know that that's a good life because we have taught them otherwise. Mm. Wow. There's so many thoughts that come to mind. Is (laughs) is there, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about um, just other cultures and not having this value of individualism and autonomy. Uh Do you think that, uh, you know, I'm thinking of crazy rich Asians and like kind of the, the disparity between like a Western mindset and the Eastern mindset um, is this like an American value system or is this like something that permeates all of human society? Well, so this is definitely a Western mm-hmm. European and then American idea. And, um, the Western tradition has its own version of it. And as, as Americans, we've sort of energized it as we tend to do, take it to the next level. We got to excel at everything. And so we're hyper consumers and we're hyper individualists and so on. Um, but you're right to observe, not, a, not all cultures have this. And in fact, many first-generation, sometimes second-generation immigrant cultures in America uh, continue to push back. I talked to a wonderful lady uh, earlier this year when I described it, gave a talk for my book. She said, you know, my actual challenge is I agree with all the things you're saying, um, but when I go to work, uh, my colleagues are pressuring me to put my career before my husband and my family because they think it's weird that I'm not being an individualist. And so here's someone, she's, you know, an immigrant to the United States, and she's recognizing, okay, these are good biblical values, but I I don't know how to keep them because the culture is pulling me away, and they're Mm -hmm. guilting me and shaming me for not having them. So to answer that other part of the question, is it it all over the globe? Well, uh, not organically, but it's spreading, right? Mm -hmm. So insofar as Western, you know, uh, influences uh, tend to to dominate in... um, various ways through the market and trade and other fashion. Um, you will see other, other cultures uh, adopting some of these things, but I don't think it's as serious as it is in the United States. I just, you know, other cultures, let me say this. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, you know, one culture is better than another. Every culture's got their own problems. But what I'm trying to do in this book is say, our culture at this particular moment in history has some serious issues with how we view our identity, mm. our belonging. And if That's we good. don't get those things right, we're going to have a lot of problems. That's really good. That's, this is such an important book. It is called You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. The author is Dr. Alan Noble, and we're thrilled that Alan is going to stay with us as we continue this conversation. Uh, I'm thinking about your book and wondering, uh, how will we know, how would an individual know when they're starting to make progress in this, when they are starting to um, live actually as if they're not their own and buying into that cultural eye? What what might be some markers that say, hey, I'm actually growing in this? Hmm, that's a great question. I haven't thought about that. So uh, one thing would be that when we are confronted with moments where society treats us as if uh, we belong to ourselves, mm-hmm. and there's a, a kind of tension that we feel and an anxiety. Uh, then we're able to label that, and it doesn't it doesn't disturb us. I'll give you a good example of this. My wife stayed at home. She has two master's degrees. She stayed at home with her kids for about a year, and during that time, when she would meet other adults 
which was not enough because it's hard. We're very, you know, adults live very isolated lives, mm-hmm. especially if you stay at home with kids. But when she would meet them, they would often say something like, well, what do you do? Right. And so my wife would naturally say, well, I, you know, I, I stay at home. And even if they were the kinds of Christians who were fairly conservative and really support that kind of idea of a stay at home mom, there's still a sense in which their response would be something like, well, that's fine, but, um, I don't have much else to ask you. Right? So what does your <laughs> yes. husband do? Right? So you're not interesting. It's almost like everyone sort of agrees, even if we see the value in it, everyone sort of agrees that being a stay-at-home mom means that your life is on pause. You're not doing something meaningful anymore. So my wife, highly intelligent woman, she knows that that's a lot. Mm. She knows that what she was doing during that time was valuable and meaningful and actually one of the most human things you can possibly do, which is raise other humans in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, but just because you know that cognitively, irrationally, doesn't mean that when people constantly treat you as uninteresting as an adult, because you're not, you don't have an exciting career, doesn't mean that that doesn't affect you. So I suppose one way that you could see this would be that, uh, when interactions like that happen, um, you would be less and less troubled in your spirit by, other people wrongly suggesting, hey, you know what, you're your own, and you need to have an exciting, interesting life and career because that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. So that'd be one way I can think of. That's awesome. I work and pastor in Chicago, and every first question when you meet somebody is, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you made the comment early. I mean, it's almost like you can't even get away from it. I, I just try to avoid what school did you go to? <laughs> because it's like everybody didn't go to, you know, did go to Northwestern yeah. or some big 10, you know, cause that's always a conversation piece um, where, where I'm at. But um, when I, I think about uh, what you said earlier in the earlier piece, like, man, what, what does this community need? And if it needs a, a plumber, that's just a faithful uh, plumber, then that's a good life. Mm. Um, so how do we, you know, rearrange? I've, I've got a little uh, 10 week old and I'm, I don't want to push him towards something that's just uh, like, this is what dad wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is what's going to be impressive to our society and culture. And I know that that's in me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But why, why is, and I, I, I would say, I mean, Brian and I would say like, Hey, if God called you to be a faithful trash man, yeah. then like, that's a good life. Um, yeah, but it, it so rubs against the grain of, of, um, our society to, to, to value those things. So I think sometimes we just have to be very explicit. So for, for example, uh, um, you know, I, I teach at a Baptist institution and so it's not, it, it's not uncommon at all for me to hear students talking about, you know, I feel called to this, or I feel called to that. And I'm not doubting their calling at all, but what I am saying is that uh, I suspect it's the case that when young people imagine what their calling might be, it is in some ways restrained by the kinds of things that we have taught them in their youth are acceptable, mm-hmm. right? So I doubt your son is ever going to say, I feel called to be a trash man. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just don't think I don't know that that's ever happened um, <laughs> unless unless we've told them before that hey that trash man he can be doing that's meaningful work too yeah mm-hmm. right so if in other words if we teach our kids this idea of calling but we also secretly only teach them that these are the kinds of careers that are meaningful mm-hmm. then they're they're probably going to find callings that happen to fit with those careers so practically I think you know I think we have to be explicit about this. Uh, as we're talking to our children from the pulpit, the way we present, okay, what does it mean to live as a person who's honoring God in this world? Well, you know, uh, first of all, it means, you know, faithfulness and belonging to God and acknowledging that and accepting responsibilities. And sometimes, a lot of the times, most of the time, it means setting aside your desires and wants because you know that there are more important things that you need to do that you're committed to. So often, I think, you know, faithful fathers and mothers who, you know, their kids see them sacrificing time and hobbies and desires because they recognize my kids need this. I need to go help my neighbor move. I need to go do this at the church. They're saying, oh, you know what? That's the normal human life. The normal human life is not following your desires to self-actualize. It's actually service to others because we belong to someone else. And so that is our fundamental orientation. That's such a good word. Again, the book is You Are Not Your Own. Belonging to God in an inhuman world, uh, I would encourage you highly 
to go pick that up. Uh, Alan, you're also the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Christ and Pop Culture because it doesn't seem like you have enough going on in your life <laughs> as a professor and an author and all sorts of other things. Uh, this is a really kind of broad, big question, but I think it's one that uh, people need to wrestle with in the church. Why do you think it's important that Christians are not only aware of pop culture, but are involved in pop culture and are know what's going on and are interacting? Why is that even an important topic for you, uh, especially as you're teaching students and other things? So the reality is that virtually all of us are participating in culture, mm-hmm. right? So that's not, it's, it's, it's essentially not an option, right? Mm-hmm. If you buy clothes, you're participating in culture. And it's popular culture because almost all culture today is popular culture. Um, uh, operas still happen, but the vast majority of us, you know, if you can watch it on Netflix, it's part of popular culture. And most mm-hmm. things are there. Most things are available on YouTube or Netflix or Hulu or whatever. So the first thing I think we have to re- recognize is that this isn't optional. We're already in this. So the question is only then, how do we do it to God's glory? How do we do it to edify our neighbor and to glorify God? That's the question that fundamentally matters. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if you're honest about the way you're viewing things and listening to things and interacting in the world, you know that they are shaping your desires. They are shaping what you love and how you live and what you value. So, so I think, you know, that means we have to ask, uh, uh, are those, uh, the things that they're helping us to desire, are those good mm. or not? And if you're not, it's a bit dangerous when we're, when we're not aware, when we think this is just fun, or this is just entertainment or just relaxation, um, you know, we're letting our guards down and, and, and we can be influenced about about things that are harmful. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you can go uh, to ChristandPopCulture.com, a really fascinating website. And again, the book that Alan has written that we've been talking to him about is called You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. You can go get that. You can learn more about the book at OAllenNoble.com. Also, you can connect with Alan on Twitter at TheAllenNoble. That's at the. Alan Noble. Alan, this has been great, man. Uh, Good luck with the book. We'd love to have you back on to talk more of this pop culture stuff and many other things. But thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside my guest host today, Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us uh, Steve, again, is a pastor of uh, teaching discipleship and spiritual formation at Renewal Church of Chicago. You can learn more at RenewalChicago.com. At the New York Times, somebody who's been on the show before, her name is Tish Harrison Warren. Tish uh, is a prolific writer. She's also a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. Uh, her most recent book is called Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep. Uh, but she writes a lot, and she was asked to write an op-ed in the New York Times. I always find it interesting when priests, pastors, authors are are writing op-eds in the New York Times. On uh, So uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, who we have on the show often, she yeah. wrote uh, at the New York Times the other day uh, why she's pro-life. So that's kind of like, I don't know, to use military language, it's kind of like going into enemy territory <laughs> and being like, I know most of you aren't going to agree with this, but... Yeah. Here you go. And Tish Harrison Warren wrote uh, the other day called What I Believe About Life After Death. Um, And so uh, she begins by talking of the story of the pastor from Nashville who died recently in a car accident along with his 22-year-old daughter. Uh, We talked about that story here. And this, she was good friends with him and just explains Mm -hmm. how much of a struggle it has been and then other death in her family or friends and just – the rocking of it does, and eventually I would encourage people to go read it. She then transitions to talking about the difference it makes, though, to have hope in Christ. So um, it doesn't make his death any easier, but knowing that he's a believer, uh, that we have hope in Jesus. And, and Steve, I think it's important. I think there's people out there listening right now going through just craziness. Yeah. Death in the family, cancer, job, whatever else it might be. And I guess I want to ask this question of you two different ways. Um, 
So first I want to go, why does the reality of eternity actually make a difference and give us hope? And then I want to ask a really difficult question is, how do we grow that in our life? How do we get an eternal perspective? Yeah. But start with a why. Why does it matter so much? Yeah, I, I think it matters so much because uh, that is the place that, that God has promised mm-hmm. to do away with all of the hardships and heartaches of life. And so mm-hmm. I think we have, you know, in society, we over the course of human history, we've tried to create utopian societies, yes. right, in places where um, it, it, it's insulated from the badness of the world. Yes. And ultimately, the promise of being in Christ is that God is going to renew and restore all things. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking forward and trusting the faithfulness of God um, and that if we can trust that his faithfulness in sending his son, Mm. then we can trust his faithfulness in that he's promised to renew and restore all things. That's right. That's right. And so uh, I totally agree with you. It's um, it's this reality of the already not yet. Like this world is messed up, Mm -hmm. you know, like. You've, you opened up and shared a story about your mom or uh, we've all got these kind of stories in our lives and, and they, they rock you to your core and you go, this isn't how it's supposed to be. The question becomes, is it how it's always going to be? And that's where we have hope yeah, as yeah. Christians. We can go, OK, this is not how it's supposed to be, but God promises in Jesus that he's going to be present at the at the rock bottom right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to be there, but also that the victory he's already won will be realized and that this is not going to be ultimately our reality. So here's the $64,000 question, Steve. How do we grow that in our life? Because it's easy to preach about. Yeah, it's yeah. Easy. How do we live in that? How do we actually live in that hope? What, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, in a practical way, one, one of the things that, that I have tried to, um, you don't realize how much you are informed about heaven by things that aren't in the Bible. Oh, Interesting. And so, you know, when you, when you think, I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus and people would talk about heaven, I would think about it as like, we're going to be floating on clouds, like singing worship songs right. and like, um, and, and like playing harps yep, and yep. you know what I'm saying? And Jesus is going to be there. It's going to be an endless worship service. Uh, right. And, um, yes. and you're like, that doesn't sound fun. That, and you're like, yeah, that'd be like super cool. Like maybe if I like hyped myself up, that, yeah. that would be like super cool for like a few days. Um, and then it'd be like, you know, I need to experience something different. And so one of the things that, that I did actually was I got a hold of Randy Alcorn's book, uh, heaven, such a good book. And so I, I just, it, it just helped clarify what I misunderstood about heaven. And I think that, Oftentimes, as I just think that oftentimes as preachers and pastors, like we we talk about heaven as this other place up yes. in the sky kind yes. of a thing. And what we see in the scripture is actually uh, heaven coming to earth mm-hmm. and the presence of God residing uh, together with us. And I think that if you can get yourself out of the space of thinking that somehow, some way that utopia is on this side of eternity yeah and you you just un, get get to a real understanding that we're not there yet mm. but we're on our way mm-hmm. um because i think that that we all hold on to hope mm. that there's a utopia on this side of things that's right that there's going to be an arrival point on this side of things and i think that deep in our like soul's longing we have this desire for that mm-hmm. um and and so we look for arrival points. We look for, you know what I mean? We mm-hmm. look for, man, when I get, when I get married or when I meet the perfect person or when I buy that perfect house or when I get that, you know, that perfect job, when I become partner of, uh, of that firm yep. and then you get there and you realize, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't it. When, when what actually we were created for is to experience the presence of God yeah. uh, for all eternity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in Randy Alcorn's book, he would say that God is the source of everything that you've ever found beautiful and everything that's ever taken your breath away. Hmm. So imagine as first John says that then we will be like him and we will see him as he is. Yep. It would be to take in the source of everything that you've ever uh, said was beautiful and everything that you, that has ever taken your breath away. That's such a good word. So I, I think part of like building my faith towards those things, you know, personally for me has been like, like surrounding myself with what, what is heaven actually 
um, and and just allowing that to saturate my heart. Yeah. Um, and then read the Bible through that that lens, and and knowing that, like we said earlier, if Jesus promised He was going to send His Son to do away with our sins. Mm-hmm we can rest assured that he's going to make good on his promise to restore and renew all things. Amen. That book, heaven really was inspired in, instrumental in my understanding of heaven. Cause I, you grew up exactly the way you're talking about. Like, I don't know. Heaven sounds kind of boring. Like what, you know, we yeah. get this picture and it is the furthest thing. Let me read to you. Uh, let me close this out by reading what Tish Harrison Warren, how she ended her article. She wrote, I hate death. I've never made my peace with it. And I never will. I don't want to live in a world where everything good suddenly ends. I want to see the people I love again. Uh, I hope that my longing for eternity, for joy and pleasure and friendship and beauty to last, is there because it whispers of something that is true. I hope that death feels wrong to me because it really is wrong. Mm -hmm. It really is not how things are meant to be. And I hope that this hope for more is not silly or delusional. I hope to see my friends again and that death is just an interruption, but not an ending. So that was at the New York Times, just a good word right there about perspective and how do we kind of live in the brokenness of this world. Well, Steve and I are both pastors. We're going to go back to an article I was looking at the other day that empty church pews are an American public health crisis. Do we actually believe that? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside our guest co-host today, Steve Koble. my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. The cover story, Christianity Today, uh, this month, it kind of says this, empty pews are an American public health crisis. Let me just kind of read one paragraph. It says, Americans' growing dissatisfaction with organized religion. So the beginning of the article is like increasingly organized religion for various reasons, political reasons, COVID reasons, all sorts of stuff. Mm. People are dissatisfied with, quote unquote, organized religion. It says uh, Americans' growing dissatisfaction with organized religion isn't just bad news for churches. It also represents a public health crisis, one that has been largely ignored, but the effects of which are likely to increase in the coming years. So the point of the article is this people pulling away from churches, which we talked about earlier is happening and accelerated through COVID, Mm -hmm. but was already happening before culturally us pulling away from churches um, is actually bad for our culture and our community. Uh, You and I are a little biased in this because we're pastors, but what do you think of that argument? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. if that, if that is true. I think that for a lot of people, um, community is uh, a part of the regular rhythm of life and who you're doing life with mm. impacts how uh, you live and even your outlook on life in general. Yes. Right. So if I'm in community with people who uh, believe that God is active uh, in our lives and that he's and I'm, I'm continually being reminded of uh what he's doing and how he's doing it and rehearsing that to myself mm-hmm. in community with other people, then I'm sure that that helps with my mental health. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure that that help, helps with my outlook on, uh, on life. I'm sure that if I have friends who believe that loving their neighbor as themselves mm-hmm. is an important thing, um, then I'm going to have a better experience of life in general. Um, and, and I think gathering together, I you know, I don't know what the factors are in terms of psychologically and stuff like that. Gathering together to sing together with mm-hmm. a community of people to God and do that rehearsal, because I think the rest of the world is preaching uh, all the time at us. We're being catechized, you know, everywhere we turn yes. with where the good life is mm. um, and the rehearsal of the good life every Sunday is a is so important to our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. That's great. It talks about communal religious experience seems better. Here's what I find interesting. The authors of this study uh, are out of Harvard. This isn't like Lifeway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this isn't Christianity Today even. This is out of Harvard. The guy's the director of the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University. This It's a hugely long article. I'd encourage people to go to Christianity Today. Uh, but he, I love how it ends. It says, this is literally the last sentence. This reminds me of Ecclesiastes, right? They kind of do this whole thing, and then there's a last sentence. It says, mm-hmm. the data are clear. Going to church remains central to true human flourishing. 
You're two guys out of Harvard. We need to put that on our business cards, Why? right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's let's go to this spot, though, Steve. There are painful things about the church because it's made yeah. up of people. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubt that there are people listening right now going, I want nothing to do with the church. Like, you don't know my story, and um, or I, I just – I've disconnected and I've been fine. What would you say to the person as a pastor um, that you are – what would you say to the person who's like – I? Fine, Harvard guys, whatever. I don't see value in the church. I don't want to be a part of it. What, what, what's one encouragement you'd give them? Yeah, I, I think that if you're really, really honest with yourself, um, all of the spiritual gifts are represented in the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, your discipleship, your um, spiritual flourishing is an interdependent one. Um, and even your value for, for individualism and autonomy is an American value more than it is. Uh, biblical one, or mm. even like for the sake of your own human flourishing. That's good. And so the New Testament doesn't know um, the idea of I got my own thing with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't. And so I think if if you can really, really be honest with yourself and ask yourself, am I spiritually flourishing mm. apart from a local church context? I think if you're really, really honest, the answer is probably no. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. You may have had bad experiences in churches and um, like you said, the reality is made up of broken people uh, that are, are going to uh, fail you at some point or another. And my encouragement would be like, find another church. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Ask questions about certain things that you care about uh, in terms of like how things are, are handled or yeah. uh, not in a way that it's like, does this church have all the, the things that I want to get out of a church? Um, because that's consumerism. Yep. But um if, if the church is doing what is represented in scripture and you can say, how, how can I um, be a uh, not a consumer, but a contributor yeah. to that, then I think your spiritual flourishing is 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 tied to that experience of a local church. That's great. Go to ChristianityToday.com. You can read this article. It's really long. And I think it's really telling that it's written by guys from Harvard and it's not written by. It's not a self-serving thing. Like a bunch of pastors are like, hey, you want to know the key to human flourishing? Come to church. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but it instead comes to that conclusion at its end. Well, speaking of conclusions, uh, Steve is going to have to stay here for one more time. And we're going to talk about, I want to pick his brain about something that Aubrey and I have been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks. How do we as pastors deal with doubt? And d- doubt, particularly when people from our congregation uh, are are expressing doubt. What do we do with that? We're going to discuss doubt next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. Steve, man, let me just start by saying thanks. This has been a lot of fun to catch up, and uh, we're, we're going to do it more. We'll have you back uh, when Aubrey and I can't be here uh, but thanks for doing this. Hope it's been a good time. It's been a good time, man. Good to yeah. see you again. Yeah, you too. Again, I'll let you remind people one more time as we send them out. Where can they find you? Where where you pastor? Where are you online on social media? How can people connect with you? Yeah, we're we're in Chicago. We're just south of Rush Hospitals where we meet uh, at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, at 1950 West 13th Street. And um, it's Renewal Church of Chicago. You can find us at RenewalChicago.com. Uh, Renewal Chicago uh, online on social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, all of the social medias, uh, Facebook, all of those different <laughs> things. Uh, and then I'm on uh, Instagram as Steve underscore Coble. Um, and I'm on Facebook as Steve Coble. So. And I feel like people should follow you because if I'm guessing as a new dad 10 weeks, 11 weeks ago – uh, you're probably posting pictures Man, of your baby all the time. There's a lot of cuteness happening on my feed. <laughs> I'm going to just let you know it'll brighten your day. It's so funny. When my third child was born, it was this man, I'm going to sound so old here. When my third child was born, it is like when when people are just getting into Facebook. Uh-huh. And so you can look back now and there's pictures of her, but they're like sideways. Like I didn't post them correctly, but you're like, look at her little baby. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, people need to follow you just for that sake, just to see cute baby I'm pictures. I'm biased, man, but little this little joker's cute. I, You know, this sounds weird to say. You showed me a picture of him, and I got to tell people, like sometimes you see a picture of a baby and you're like, yeah, that's that baby's only cute in their parents' eyes. Like that baby, your baby's a cute baby. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. So, uh, and his name, you said he's named after you, but you call him Trey. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So he's uh, the third Stephen. So we call him uh, we call him Trey. So he's Stephen Gary Coble, 
and um, and we call him Trey. That's awesome. Well, congratulations, man. Well, uh, the way Aubrey and I tend to try to end our show is with uh, some encouragement. We try to kind of send people off with encouragement or challenge, just something to think about. And I want to get your word on something we talked about. I think we talked about either yesterday or the day before. Uh, they all start to run together now. But Aubrey and I were trying to talk about the idea of doubt. Um, and, uh, people getting to the point of going, man, I have, I have questions. I don't, this doesn't all make sense. I, I don't know. And this idea of doubt and, and a lot of times people who've been in church in a long time, they feel like their doubts are sinful, mm. like they're wrong. How do you as a pastor answer that? Is having doubts wrong? I actually think that doubting means that you're not just, you know, going through the motions of rote memorization. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You're not just uh, just ascribing to things and not thinking. It means you're thinking about it. Yeah. And so I I think that actually doubt can be a place where you can uh, really cultivate and develop a deep faith uh, because you're going to have the the desire to actually go learn about mm. the things that you don't understand. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think that it can actually be a catalyst to to major spiritual growth and, you know, there's a number of ways, you know, when you think of like Alpha Ministry, you and I might be familiar with the local church ministry. Alpha is like a place where people come who have doubts about uh, Christianity and just a place to process those different things. And I know that for some people, you know, they grew up in a church where if you question something, you know, you just don't, you know, you just don't believe in God or you just don't believe uh, you shouldn't question anything. Yeah, and yeah. I just don't think that that's helpful. I, I think that there's actually a space for us to cultivate a really deep, rich faith on the basis of studying the things that we don't quite fully understand. That's great. So what do you do? Maybe you personally have had seasons of doubt or somebody in your church comes to you and says, Pastor, I just, uh, I'm struggling. I've got questions. I'm just doubting. I'm doubting. What do we do with that? Other than admitting it and yeah. not, not pretending that everything, you know, I got all my ducks in a row and everything's, what do you actually uh, tell people? What do you do when you're in a season of doubt? You know, I, I think that one of the things that, you know, I'm always quoting Tim Keller, but yeah, it's a good you know, guy to quote. <laughs> yeah, you look you look at Tim Keller, and he always asks the question instead of like putting Christianity under the microscope first, like put other ideologies and ideas about life under the microscope, and see how well they answer the issues that you have with things. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I know what I believe. I know that I believe that on the other side, Christianity might not die all the I's and cross all the T's on every single particular detail. Right. But I think it has the best answers. Mm. And so as long as there's, there's uh, uh, as long as the thing that I'm ascribing to has the better answers mm. to the other things, it just helps me along the way. Yeah. You know, I think Tim Keller wrote uh reason for God, you know, Such some, some book. of the, some of these uh, resources, the, the counterfeit gods, some of the things that he's written on some of these particular topics, I think, are are super, super helpful. Absolutely. And so I kind of will direct people to those things or, you know, we'll just sit down and, and talk. What, what like what is it about the veracity of the Bible? And, and sometimes when you really get the opportunity to have conversation and we talked about the importance of community um, and this is why I think everybody needs a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of if you've got a PhD in something or, or not, because we actually respond to things out of our heart and emotion more yeah. than we do logic as much as we think that we do. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes our doubts have something rooted in um, some kind of emotion like fear or um, some other thing that's happened in our lives yeah. that is actually affecting the way that we think about God or the way that we think about faith. And like just having the space to be able to process that and think through that. So, you know, I, you know, I hate to, to be like the promoter of what I actually do, but I'm like, let the guy do their job. Mm. You know, I think Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, 12, Hebrews 13 talks about um, remembering your leaders, uh, those who spoke the word of God to you and the outcome of their lives yes. and consider their faith. Yeah. And so I think that there's a part of that that we say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sit down with somebody who I've submitted uh, I'm submitted to their authority in some way, at least spiritually and have a conversation about those things yeah. and allow the, allow pastors to be pastors. That's don't just, point. don't just do your own thing and do your yeah. own YouTube, uh, Deep you dive. know, rock, yeah, yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah. 
Uh, I would also encourage, that's a good word, man. I would encourage people to allow our doubts in our life to drive us to prayer. And I think what mm. often happens is when I doubt, I go, well, God doesn't want to hear my doubts or yeah. man, my doubts are going to anger God. That's a good. And so I think, I think in a weird way, don't you tell me if you agree with me as we close this out, don't you think our doubts can drive us into the throne room of God as opposed to away from right. it? Right. Well, one of the things that I think we, we miss out on what our purpose for salvation is like, what is having a relationship with God yeah. about? Yeah. Um, and, and we, we look at the things that we are going to do for God, but we forget that we were saved not not specifically to do stuff for God, mm-hmm. but we were saved for intimacy with God. Yes. And those doubts and like you said, driving you to prayer and the process of coming to God with everything that you have is something that cultivates intimacy, which is something that catalyzes your faith. Absolutely. Such a good word, man. I would encourage those of you out there who are struggling, you know, you're, you're doubting. That's that's normal. I really like how you said that's more of a sign that you're you're actually wrestling with the deep stuff instead of just kind of mailing it in and checking some boxes. Yeah. Uh, but allow it to drive you to prayer uh, as opposed to going, ah, oh, God must not want me around. He's going to be mad at me. Allow it to drive you to prayer. Well, again, uh, my guest co-host today has been Steve Koble, pastor of Teaching, Discipleship, and Spiritual Formation at Renewal Church of Chicago. Learn more at RenewalChicago.com. Steve, this has been a blast, man. Thanks for doing it today. Oh, man, my pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Again, for Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Join us tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. You have been listening to The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.